Hello and welcome back to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. Uh, I'm your host, Leo, and this week we're doing something a little bit uh, different-ish. I decided uh, I've been doing a lot of movies. It's been five weeks of movies so far. So I wanted to kind of do something a bit different uh, and take a bit of a break from movies. And I decided, since I was dumb enough to spend money when I'm slowly running out of it, uh, <laughs> I might as well make some kind of use out of uh, my my being dumb. So I bought uh, Spongebob The Cosmic Shake, the kind of sort of direct sequel, or I guess it it is now the direct sequel to Battle for Bikini Bottom, but yeah, meh. So yeah, I decided to buy that because I not too long ago played Battle for Bikini Bottom, the rehydrated version, and I enjoyed it, and I've been on a bit of a Spongebob kick for a bit now. Uh, I've been watching a lot of old Spongebob, just to, you know, relive some memories. Yeah, so I've, I decided I'll, I'll get the Cosmic Shake and see if it's any good. And my overall impression of it is, it's fine. It's nothing super great, it's just kind of fine. The, the main thing I'm going to be doing this episode is kind of comparing the original game, or Battle for Bikini Bottom, and this game. And just kind of talking about how how they compare. Because the, the development team for this game worked on the remake slash remaster of Battle for Bikini Bottom. And they took a lot of what they learned there to make this game. And also a lot of the assets. Because it's a lot easier to do that than to 100% make them fresh. So, the story... The story is a, a little bit of a mess. In Battle for Bikini Bottom, it's relatively simple. Uh, Plankton made robots, hit wrong button, and now SpongeBob must go through cleaning up the robots. Pretty simple. In this, they decided, let's go a little bit more complex, but also jump you around like to five different locations within like three minutes with loading screens in between each cutscene, which was very jarring. So SpongeBob and Patrick are going to Glove World because they want to. They go to Glove World... And they come across Cassandra, the mermaid, who is pretty much a snake oil salesman and gives them what she calls mermaid's tears. And they can grant wishes. So she, after giving that to them, uh, watches on with interest as Spongebob and Patrick then go back to Bikini Bottom, start blowing bubbles for their friends, making wishes, you know, spreading the love, so to speak. They, all the bubbles pop, causing a, like a cosmic... Well, a cosmic shake, as the game calls it. All of their friends get scattered to these different worlds. The worlds themselves are interesting, but they're reimaginings of almost every single world from the first game. Uh, it's Wild West jellyfi jellyfish fields. Um, the pirate goo lagoon. So it's, it's kind of taking some things, the old levels, and kind of adding stuff or taking the old levels and like I mean the layout of the levels is different which is good but it's just kind of weird when you're going through you're kind of following the similar path that you would take during Battle for Bikini Bottom it's a little bit odd uh the the analogy that I, I thought of was it's like you go into a room 
that you've been in many times before, but everything is shifted slightly, so it doesn't quite feel right. That's kind of this game in a nutshell. You know, everything is where you think it's supposed to be, but then, like, something's just not quite there. It's just slightly different. It just makes things feel weird. The levels are Normal Bikini Bottom, Wild West Jellyfish Fields, Karate Downtown Bikini Bottom, Pirate Goo Lagoon, Halloween Rock Bottom, Prehistoric Kelp Forest, Medieval Sulphur Fields, and Jelly Glove World. The only level that I think is actually like an original level is Glove World. Yes, the only level that's, you know, purely, like, not reused or anything would be Glove World. And Glove World is very short uh, in the in the grand scheme of the game, which is kind of sad. They also took out all building interiors, save for the Krusty Krab in a cutscene. Otherwise, yeah, you don't get to go into any of the buildings around anywhere like on the hub world you don't get to go into any of the buildings you just talk to people outside of the building and do side quests for them it's kind of sad actually also the game doesn't feel fully right in in that you know things feeling slightly off thing the world itself doesn't feel as cohesive or even cartoony as battle for bikini bottom did like, Battle for Bikini Bottom, at least the world felt right, you know? But in the Cosmic Shake, I don't know, the, the coloring of the world and everything just doesn't quite feel right. You're As you play through, you're able to just kind of, you know, ignore it and move on. But it just doesn't quite feel good at times. Uh, another thing that you have to do during some of the levels is return the buildings. Some of the buildings, so like uh, Spongebob's house gets replaced with canned pineapple. Um, Patrick's rock just goes missing. Then the Krusty Krab is also missing. So, you know, you, you have to find some of these buildings when you're going through. But it doesn't... The, the way the levels go isn't quite all that interesting either. They're very linear in comparison to, say, Battle for Bikini Bottom. Because Battle for Bikini Bottom, while for the most part the level was kind of linear, you had other things that you could do. And you could, theoretically, in some cases, do most of them in your first run through an area. But, eh, instead, in the Cosmic Shake, you have to kind of walk through and just go through... You'll be given some extra objectives, but, I mean, they don't really divert you. The only extra objectives truly that make you have to go back to each world are the side quests that you can obtain in the overworld for example you have to get mr krabs's penny collection you have to get some drinks for squidward you have to get hot things to help heat up sandy's house you have to get good noodle stickers for uh, mrs puff and then you have to find spot in every level which I had no clue who the hell Spot was. Didn't know that it was a, a thing. So Spot is Plankton's dog, I guess, which is like an amoeba. And I I don't remember Spot. It it threw me off. The humor in the game is fine. It's very very self-referential. To be fair, B Battle for Bikini Bottom was fairly self-referential and especially the rehydrated version, but something seemed 
a little extra in in this game because it was going through different kinds of jokes that SpongeBob doesn't at least when the show first came out it didn't use all that often for example one the crusty crab pizza they did that like once and now you use the pizza as a glider in this game which is fine but there's a high chance that many times you will hear him sing the crusty crab pizza song and it, it gets kind of annoying the more it happens in fact, many of the lines that are used are repeated en masse a lot. For example, uh, one of the other collectibles, which is Patrick's Sticky Notes. Uh, if there's a long time between collection of a sticky note, it's very likely you'll end up with a repeat line. So the one that was, you know, kind of most prevalent was the line about you know to do make good sticky notes but said wrong anywho <laughs> that line i got like four times and i only picked up six of the nine sticky notes so yeah then when you're picking up jelly which is like the main collectible it replaces shinies in this game you pick up the jelly and a lot of times he'll say a little dabble do ya a lot too much sometimes like i wish that there was either varied lines or less lines and tutorials it's one of those games that has tutorials throughout the game luckily they aren't too invasive but they can be a bit annoying i wish that the tutorials were kind of relegated to like signs or something but they weren't they slap you in the face real quick tell you what to do and then you know get rid of it or you have to get rid of it. It'll constantly play it on loop until you stop it. Uh, in this game, you have a companion. You have Patrick with you. Because Patrick's wish was to become a balloon. He did. He's now a balloon Patrick. And he actually joins you. Uh, he'll actually get you some underwear to, you know, the health in this game. That will help you along. Which is great. But he, <laughs> he he's also pretty much useless after that. He'll pick you up if you fall into a hole or something but i mean it still does damage it doesn't help you too much it's just you know a visual for the mechanic then you let's see then he also points out some stuff kind of like the direction you're supposed to go i guess he'll he'll stand there or he'll float there and then it'll turn into an arrow point to an area and as you get close to it he might either float off or something but for most most of the time he just does his own thing it's kind of weird uh the other so the main thing that like replaces spatulas kind of not really is the balloons so the balloons their only purpose is to unlock tiers of costumes cosmetic costumes you get one i think you the first tier takes one it takes either one or two you get one or two and then it unlocks the first tier and it takes away your doubloons so then you have to get get back those two and then continue on for each set going forward. It's it's kind of annoying because it gets goes all the way up to 14. And for each tier before that, you have to clear out and do it again. And it, it gets a little bit tedious. Uh, other than that, the doubloons do nothing. They're just for the cosmetic costume shop. 
which yeah is fine i guess i kind of preferred when the collectibles did kind of hamper progress like the golden spatulas in battle for bikini bottom were used to unlock levels and other parts of the overworld uh bikini bottom map this game it do, it's not required in fact the mechanic that's kind of proposed at the beginning of the game is completely ignored throughout the rest of the game because cassandra when you first talk to her says that you will have to give her jelly in order to get the next costumes for the next area which makes it kind of seem like you're supposed to get a required amount of jelly and then give it to her to move on but no she just gives it to you in a cutscene. so and you're technically giving her the jelly it, it's, it's kind of wasted potential it felt like they were going to do something like that but then they decided nah never mind which i it, it's fine i guess it works i would have preferred just a little bit more to how everything kind of worked i mean the the overworld's pretty well connected it kind of forms a circle so uh you start off in one area and you can work your way across and then you work your way back and you just kind of repair the overworld as you go and yeah <laughs> the bosses are barely there some at least they get better as the game goes but the early ones kind of suck. The first boss is Mr. Krabs. Uh, you have to chase him through a train to get to him, and that's it. That's the boss. Done. It it was making it seem like the first boss was going to be the Alaskan Bullworm, but it's not at all. And the only thing that hampers progress... Otherwise, I would say that technically you could get away with not touching any uh, collectible, and you could still beat the game. The only thing that hampers that is the forced fighting sections you'll enter an area and it will create this like dome over you and you have to defeat all of the enemies in that dome before you can move on and the combat's not bad it's just it's basic your basic whack and then after you do the karate world you then also get a karate kick which is probably one of the funner ways to defeat enemies because it locks onto the enemy and just shoots you towards them so you have to double jump and kick and it's probably the best attack. It doesn't work on some enemies, like the big jelly and the... I, I don't even know all the jelly names. They're weird. The one that shoots stuff at you the that you have to bounce back at them. Anyhow, <laughs> the, the combat's pretty fun. Save for the, the weird contextual fights for certain th enemies. Like, for one, you have to wait for them to stun themselves to attack them one you have to kick before you can attack it one you have to either bounce stuff back at them or wait for them to be distracted and bubble them because you do have a, a semi-stun thing of your own that works on most enemies that you can bubble them and then attack them that way there's one enemy that you have to split apart and defeat the individual parts before they reform. Uh, and then there's some minor enemies that just kind of appear once and then you never see them again. There's a there's like a jellyfish looking jelly that appears once and then disappears and you never see them again. But the bosses in general as things go get better. I would say pretty much after the first one, it gets a little bit better. 
because you have to start fighting actually well actually fighting people so you fight sandy then you fight um you fight sandy then you fight the shrimp which i you don't actually really fight him at all then you fight pearl in a caveman thing then you fight well you don't really fight a witch but you you know you have to avoid her attacks while you deliver cake then you also have to fight Gary. Uh, Gary got big and got a f- freezing stare. And then you have to fight uh, the the glove guy. I, I can't remember his name. So- something glove. And then afterwards, you, the final boss is Cassandra with Jelly Squidward. So the only, like... Character-based jelly fight is Squidward, which I think is kind of the complete opposite of of uh, Battle for Bikini Bottom, where there was Sandy, Patrick, SpongeBob as robots, and then they had planned a Squidward, didn't use him, and then in the uh, rehydrated version, they made it a terrible co-op fight, and they kind of reused that fight in this game but different slightly different and i guess better overall and yeah so basically all you have to do is dodge all of his attacks and then get the reef blower shoot cassandra three times and then you win it's not too bad although it felt a little bit disappointing in comparison to some some other bosses Uh, overall all the bosses are relatively you know simple but yeah, the story, it in general is fine. I, I'm not a big fan of how it's connected, because it feels like he was trying to do what uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart did, but it, they did it poorly. So you have to go to these portals, and these portals are definitely loading screens, and they take ages. And you get in, go through the level, and then you portal out. And I, I think that they were imagining something similar to Rift Apart, where it's just like, oh, you know, you're going into all these different dimensions and whatnot. But no, no. It gets confusing because, like, in the background of these areas, similar to Battle for Bikini Bottom, you can see at least the theming of the area you're going to go to. So behind SpongeBob's house is the Halloween-themed area. Behind... Um, Mr. Crab's house is the, uh, fantasy, uh, medieval kingdom area and so on. And like behind Sandy's house is like sets and a cam, uh, camera crew and whatnot. So you, you can see the, the theming, but you're going to a different dimension to get to it, which is weird. It doesn't make as much sense, except for, you know, the fact that it's supposed to be kind of like a... This is a conglomerate area now. I don't know. And then the ending of the story... So Poseidon... Not Poseidon. Neptune notices the... Finally notices the destruction. Then you go into the final boss fight. And then Poseidon's like, eh, it's fixed now, so that's fine. I'll grant you one more wish. Because for some reason, they keep granting... Spongebob wishes 
after he, you know, completely bungles it up. But he's, as SpongeBob's about to wish, Patrick lands back to normal and says that he wishes that they could do it again. And then it goes into credits. It's meh. <laughs> it's a meh ending. I don't know if they're going to do anymore. I don't know how well this game did. I did not hear much about it upon release. Overall, it's fine. Like, I mean, when you're actually playing the levels and going through it, like, the movement's pretty fun. Everything seems... It's pretty fun to play. The only thing that gets a little bit annoying is the weird sense of, I feel like I've been here before, and also, who are these jokes for? Are all these referential jokes for old fans? New fans? No one? Because the the joke that annoyed me the most is the the super realistic, um, ugly joke. You know, where it's supposed to be like a close-up and it looks ugly and there's like a disembodied scream attached to the photo. That joke happens at least six times in this game. And in relative rapid succession too because the game overall is fairly short but for it to be constantly bringing back that joke for no real reason because it's not even that funny or that gross like they weren't willing to commit either way to what the joke's supposed to be so the constant reuse of it just got annoying similar to like how the lines kept repeating or whatnot or they would bring back characters that would say specific lines that you hear in the cartoon so you know the the my leg guy you talk to him and he you know says normal things and then he yells at you talking about his leg and every time he does it he yells my leg but it doesn't sound quite right it feels off uh, and then as you're teleporting him back he screams my leg then you meet the guy that does the chocolate yell because uh, you're going looking around for candy bars as an entry fee uh, for a, a snail race sorry you go around and you interact with this guy and he's like, oh, you know, there's a rock that crushed my chocolate shed. If you can move it, uh, I'll give you some chocolate. And then you get rid of the rock, which turns out to be Patrick's rock, and go back to him. And then he starts screaming chocolate like he does in the show. It, it just feels weird. And then immediately after that, you go to enter this uh, snail race. And because it's a snail race, you must be turned into a snail. And of course, it's... It's the snail Spongebob from the episode where he gets stabbed by the snail, uh, what is it called? S snail plasma, I think it's something like that. He gets stabbed with that and then he turns into a snail, along with Squidward. So, yeah, it's... The, the reuse of jokes, while in some places it's like, oh, that's kind of cute. In other places, it's out of place. Like, the, the snail one was kind of like a, oh, that's kind of a nice surprise kind of thing, but... The, the chocolate guy and the my leg guy were just kind of annoying to see. Especially since since it was not the exact same line. It's off by a bit. Just by a bit and it, it shifts a bit. It's weird. But overall, again, I, I haven't heard much about this game. I, I saw the trailers when it was coming out and people were generally excited. It's fine. It's good. I would recommend playing it if you enjoyed Battle for Bikini Bottom. Just expect it to feel about the same but slightly different. Yeah, and it's it's a fun, short experience. Uh, the Platinum for it on PlayStation, the Platinum for it is a bit tedious. You have to unlock all the costumes, and to unlock all the costumes, you have to get all the gold doubloons, and yada, yada, yada. 
and to get all the gold doubloons, you're gonna have to go through and do all of the side quests. So, yeah. It seems like a bit of an... Oh, the, the hardest thing is the challenges for the bosses. That's the most annoying thing about the potential of a platinum. Because you have to, you'll have to go through each boss and complete a very specific thing. So for the glove boss fight, you have to let the glove kill 20 enemies during the boss fight. For Mr. Krabs, you have to catch him under a certain amount of time. For uh, the pom-pom slash pearl fight in the prehistoric kelp forest, you have to not take any damage from her um, shock waves. Uh, then for the Squidward fight, you have to not be hit by any of his tentacles. So a lot of them, some of them are decently easy, you just have to move fast. Others, you have to take no damage, which is a bit harder. But overall, again, it's a, a fun playing experience. It's definitely a fun game for kids, probably. I wouldn't know. <laughs> so, definitely, like, take a look at it if you love Spongebob. Because Spongebob is is always a fun thing to come back to. Like I said, I've been re-watching the show a bit, just as something to put on in the background that I don't have to pay attention to too much. And it still holds up. Like At least the early seasons definitely still hold up. So, yeah. I, I don't know about the new stuff. I, I I dropped off around the time that they were doing a bunch of different specials, like the, uh, uh, what, what are they called? Like, Truth or Square and whatnot. Spongelantis, I think one's called. All, all those different specials that came out, like, within a short-ish period of time. That's around the time that I dropped the, dropped the show. Especially since I was, like, beginning just around when I was becoming a teenager and whatnot so I kind of stopped watching Spongebob at that time but it's been fun going back watching the old stuff seeing just how much stuff is from season one like dang <laughs> so so many things are from season one like the Flying Dutchman the gold doubloons the um rock bottom Sandy's science experiments and whatnot uh yeah just Seeing all these, all these things happening in season one is is interesting, but yeah, with that, yeah, again, I I highly recommend it. Uh, I don't necessarily highly recommend it. I recommend it. It's a fun. It has some bugs, some annoying audio bugs, but if you're able to look past that and just kind of, you know, turn your mind off for about six hours, it's a fun game. It's a fun game. It's a a good old collectathon, yeah, a classic. It, it's it's a it's a throwback to a classic. Whether or not uh, THQ Nordic will do another one of these is up for debate, but I wouldn't mind seeing another one. See what else they can do. Hopefully, new levels, like new locations, please. Don't just paint the old ones a different theme. You know. Get, Get creative. There's so many places to go in SpongeBob, like Bikini Bottom. There's Atlantis and whatnot that you can look into. But anyway, with that, we'll call it there. We'll move on to the challenge update for this week. 
Alright, so it is now update time. It should be a relatively quick and short update this week, as not a whole lot has happened. I have finished Son of Neptune, and I have started the Mark of Athena, but I am nowhere near as far into Mark of Athena as I was hoping I would be. So let's go ahead and hop into the update proper. So let's start with the Son of Neptune, since I've finished it. It's very enjoyable. I said in my YouTube Shorts update that it's a lot more gripping, and I find that to be to be the case. Uh, the The book has a lot more, I guess, emotional resonance in comparison to uh, the la the Lost Hero. Yeah, the Lost Hero, because in the Lost Hero, we're following a character that we don't really know anything about. We don't know his past. We don't know how he was and how he's different in this case. But for Son of Neptune, we do. We remember Percy's journeys. We've followed Percy's journeys. So we know how frustrating it is that he doesn't remember them. And it's a lot more emotionally touching because he remembers Annabeth. That is the only memory he has of his past is Annabeth, and he knows his relationship with her and everything. So there's no confusion. Which is one of the things that kind of answers the question of like what's going on between Jason and Reyna, which is the only, like one of the early names that came to his mind. Um, but no, by the time of Mark of Athena, he has definitely moved on. <laughs> uh, the other thing that's kind of a bit annoying about uh, Son of Neptune is the timeline is a little bit muddied. It gets cleared up relatively fast, but it's a bit muddy to to begin because uh, Hera slash Juno she mentions like oh what's the na the month that I'm named after June and I I thought that she was just like being coy. I didn't know that she was actually saying that it was June, and for some reason, Percy's been asleep the entire time. And he also does react appropriately once he has his memories back, and he's visited in a dream by Juno. He straight up tries to kill her, which is kind of funny. And he's probably the only one that actually did does that, which I find interesting. Uh... But yeah, the overall story, again, it's a lot more tied in, and it leads immediately into the next book, which is really fun. I, I like it when a book does that, although I think there was like a year between books, so that would have fucking sucked to read in real time, because <laughs> you would finish it, and the ship's coming in, and we have to wait about a year. Fuck. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. But, yeah, on to the Mark of Athena. I'm not making great progress. Uh, I started it on Wednesday. And so far, I have, between Wednesday and today, as I'm recording this Sunday, I have only made it about one and a half, no, one and a quarter days through my uh, reading timeline. Because my goals that I set for myself are about eight chapters a day. And that way I can, you know, 
I know how far I need to push. And that works generally good for seven days a week and whatnot. So theoretically, I should should have had the book finished by Tuesday. About. And that's good. That would have been fantastic. But as it is right now, I am falling way behind. And I believe that the reason behind why I'm falling behind is that this is the conflict book the, the pointless conflict book it is where the two groups from the previous two books are finally meeting and there's you know going to be some conflict the major conflicts in this book pertain to mostly the weird love triangle between uh, Frank Hazel and Leo uh, Frank is all I don't know it, it kind of goes against his personality he's kind of mean and all that entire situation can be solved with literally like a short conversation between the three of them the the conflict is this Leo looks like Hazel's ex-boyfriend from the 1940s Sammy and the major implication though it's never well, it's not confirmed as of yet, is that Leo is like the grandson or great-grandson of Hazel's ex. Uh, and yeah, that, that's the implication. But because Leo doesn't really know who they're talking about whenever they mention Sammy, he's just kind of confused. And he... <laughs> No one's willing to continue the conversation further than, you know, just staring at each other and grumbling. Even though when we follow Leo, because the pattern for this book, um, perspective-wise, is Annabeth, Leo, Piper, Percy. And each of the, them gets four chapters, which is, again, a long time to be just hanging out with characters. <laughs> Sometimes, especially when there's three other people like it was manageable with um in the son of neptune with three characters but it's getting a little bit silly with now there's four characters that we have to you know go through these long spurts with i, I i'm personally one that likes change decently frequent change of perspective when the option is given in this case um you get it but it doesn't change very frequently frequently you, you just kind of have to roll with it for a bit the then but yeah so when we are with leo he talks about how you know he understands their relationship he he's confused mostly but he understands the relationship and he's not going to get in the way uh of it but at the same time he goes against what he says and constantly is making like snide comments or doing stuff out of spite which i do understand doing things out of spite it's something that i do constantly just be, like people say like oh what do you, you can't do that and i'm like well, fucking watch me so i can understand that but at the same time he's he's making a situation much worse especially when he especially since he is technically one of the instigators if not the instigator of the one of the main conflicts of the rest of the books or at least this book the fight between the romans and the greeks he gets semi-possessed not really but kind of sort of 
convinced that firing upon the Romans uh, is a good idea, and he does it. And that causes the diplomatic mission to go haywire immediately. And Leo, going to these, to poking, poking the bear, like literally two of the people, he's starting to frustrate beyond belief with his antics. And they're both the Rome, both Romans, Hazel and Frank. So it's not, not a good idea. Especially when, you know, he's ac he accidentally started a potential war. So, yeah, so th th that's the main, what, the biggest conflict of the book. Then there's, like, a smaller conflict between Percy and Jason. Um, where they have this awkward, like, oh, Percy took Jason's old job. Uh, then there's also when trying to figure out who sits at the head of the table... They both tried to go for the head of the table seat, even though if it's a table set up like that, technically they would both get an end of the table. So, I, I don't know. I, I think the description of the table is that it's just a normal fucking table. Like a big old rectangular, ta rectangular table. But, anywho, in, in, to solve that conflict, they cede the seat to uh, Annabeth. And then their their new conflict where I'm at right now, is they've both been kind of possessed by Gaia to fight each other because they need to fight each other to kill one of them and then whoever survives is going to kill Piper. Because right now we're in the, the Piper section of the book. But, yeah. Again, a lot of these conflicts... Like, at least... like. The being possessed by Gaia, that's understandable. They don't really have control over that. But usually, when that kind of possession happens, it's feeding on some of the tension that's already inherent in in their relationship. And so, you have to ask, uh, what, what's that tension? Obviously, it's who's going to be leader. They're both used to being the big one. The leader of a group. You know, Percy led the Greeks in in the war against Kronos. Jason led the Romans against the Titan Fortress. You know, they they both lead, but now they have to just try to decide who's going to be the leader. Again, it's a it's a situation that if they just sat down and talked about it once, the problem would be solved. They would probably just cede the power to Annabeth and move on because technically the the current um, prophecy that they're running with, which which pertains to the mark of Athena burning through Rome and whatnot, we got a little preview of it in the last book and the full one in this book. Uh, since she is the child of Athena in the the um prophecy she's the one that will probably be leader for at least until they get through rome but yeah so that, that's kind of the main issue is the frustration there it slows me down and also just some minor things that i tend to get distracted with but that that's just me reading in general i i i tend to find small things and then just rant to myself about it for like five minutes so, you know, that that slows me down. 
<laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying the book. I'm going to try and put... I'm going to turn the rest of Sunday, after I finish you know editing and getting this episode ready, I'm going to turn the rest of Sunday into a push day, where I read as much of Mark of Athena as possible. And then Monday, I'm going to tr- also do a, a push and hopefully catch up to where I was expecting to be. So in theory, I should be at around, with any luck, by end of today, chapter 20 to chapter 30-ish. Somewhere around there. Then tomorrow, I will hopefully be well done with where I wanted to be. And then tomorrow, I'll hopefully, you know, be around chapter 48 to 56-ish, I think is I think is where I would be. Yeah, yes, yes, 56. So, oh wait, no, then I would just be done with the book. There is no chapter 56. There's only 52 chapters in this book. <laughs> I just realized that. Whoopsies. But yeah, so I would either be around chapter 48 or I'll be done with the book by Monday-ish, if not Tuesday. In which then I'll be on track, is kind of the goal. To be on track. (laughs) But we'll see. I'm going to do a really hard push and see how far I can get. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys uh, enjoyed this, feel free to check out uh, this stuff I'm doing on my uh, channel, mainly. I might be doing streams again soon for the fact that... Um, I I guess plans have fallen through, and I am now stuck in indefinite limbo again, so streams might be back on. Uh, But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. I will talk to you guys again later. Goodbye.